0: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio Classics, where we take a look at a classic episode with a little bit of behind-the-scenes information. This episode is a classic. It's actually one of my favorite episodes, the little asterisks on there, and this happens to me a lot. When I remember the episode, I remember it very fondly, and then when I listen to it, I'm like, oh my god. But we'll discuss that at the end of the episode, so stay tuned. And I'll give you some behind-the-scenes info on this one. So sit back, grab a protein bar, and get ready to enjoy episode 454 of Dead Rabbit Radio. Did the Red Baron himself shoot down a UFO? And then we travel to Mexico to look at a field report prepared by the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Dr. Stephen Greer, one of the most renowned names in UFOlogy, traveled to Mexico to investigate some lights in the sky. But instead, him and his team had a conversation with alien life, today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. we got a lot of stuff to cover, so we got to start rolling into this. First off, the Minecraft server is back up. It's actually a different IP connection address, whatever they are. But it'll be in the show notes. The number one question people ask is, when am I playing? When am I playing? I do have a pretty regular schedule. Generally, I play for about an hour or two after I upload the episode. So... Generally, I'm playing the game by from like 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, maybe sometimes 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So that's when I'm on, but feel free to go about, do your own thing, build little mansions or cities or, (laughs) I don't know, fight goblins. They're not goblins, but do whatever you want. Do whatever you want in the game, and we're going to keep it going for a while. I think it'll be fun for people to kind of hang out in, so the Minecraft server is back. And as long as everything goes smoothly, we're going to keep it open to everyone. And so far, everything's been going quite swimmingly. So join us in the Minecraft server. Even if I'm not there, there's a ton of other cool people on there. And now we also got to say thanks to our newest Patreon, Catherine Bellingham. Catherine Bellingham. I'm going to assume that is a proper British name. I don't know if she's British, but that sounds like a British name, right? Catherine of Bellingham. So, Madame... Thank you for supporting the show. Really, really appreciate it a lot. If you can't support the show, you can even if you don't have a British name, you can support it if your name was like TikTok McGee. But if you can't support the show, regardless of what your name is, you can always help out the show by getting the word out. Getting the word out. So if you can't support the Patreon, that's fine. Just help get the word out. That really, really helps a lot. Catherine of Bellingham, here are your keys to the carbonic Let's fire that baby up. And not only are we taking it up into the air, we're going back in time. We're going to have fun. This... To be fair, this isn't this isn't the most fun time period of human history, but I'm a particular fan of the subject matter of this first story. So, turn that dial back to March thirteenth, nineteen seventeen. Go ahead, turn on that carboner copter. Take us off. We're now back in time. It's just before dawn. It's war torn Germany landscape. And the Red Baron himself, Baron Manfred von Richthofen, is getting ready to take flight. Now, I'm a big Red Baron fan. I actually I I'm thinking about starting writing again. I'm actually thinking I don't really have a lot of time. I don't know when I'd have time for it, but I kind of miss writing. When I was in my twenties, I wanted to write a screenplay about the life of the Red Baron. He's quite an interesting figure. And I started like doing all this research and I had an outline for it. It was just pretty historical. But I remember I was telling my little brother about my, my script. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't was didn't really write much of it. But I think I wrote a couple pages of it. But I had done all this research and outline and stuff like that. And we were talking about it. And I said, yeah, he's a really fascinating character. He was the first. This new device had been invented. An airplane had just been invented. And he was the best at it. Like, he he created air warfare. And just the whole idea of air warfare. First off, you had them use the scouting missions. Then you'd have a dude sitting in the back with a pistol. And then the other people started flying their planes. So now they're carrying rifles and they're shooting at each other. One guy's flying it. The other guy is trying to hit a plane with the rifle. The planes are made of paper and wood. And then they built machine guns on the front. You had to time it so the bullets were shooting as the propeller. Like it was timed. So the propeller would move and the bullets would fly in between the blades. And you're flying like 40 miles an hour. Thousands of feet in the air and you're shooting but the whole thing was nuts it was that uh, uh, this insane escalation of technology within a matter of like a few years they had to do all this stuff how much armor do you put on a plane and in the midst of all of this technological changes some rich dude was like oh i can do that he was flying planes around cuz it was a toy of the rich and he's like oh yeah i can totally he had like 80 kills in a in a weapon of war that had never been used before fascinating character the problem was was that he fought for germany so the only thing the, the the story itself is super interesting and in an isolated bubble i think he would be considered this big war hero i think regardless of what side you were on because he was a villain to the allies but there's still this grudging respect for him and in germany and austria and all that stuff he was a hero but any story you tell with the Red Baron ends with him dying heroically in battle, and then, like a couple of years later, Hitler takes power. So it would be a hard sell. It basically, like at the end, he's like, "I may die, but hopefully, hopefully, Germany is eventually victorious. <coughs> Even though I have been shot down, hopefully, someday the German people will rise up and take revenge for my death." Like, it's, re- it's really hard to make that movie, right? So, I, no, and it's also really hard for a guy in his 20s living in an apartment in North Highlands, Sacramento. Which, if you know North Highlands, is not a place you want to live. To write a screenplay and get it greenlit by Hollywood. But it's stuff like that's happened. I think that is more likely than me getting my... But it was dope, dude! He was, like, fighting blimps and stuff. And I had, like, the tagline. It was like, before stealth, he was a ghost. Like, I mean, like, you couldn't stop this dude. So I love the Red Baron. I absolutely love the Red Baron. I love that story. I There was a movie made on it, but it was kind of like a romance movie. And, oh, man, I want to see, like, planes flying and British people being like, oh, bloody hell, where is he? And then blowing up and then, but then again, like, it's it's all British people blowing up. But The problem is, is the side he was on, so. I love the story of the Red Baron. Um, I definitely recommend looking into it. But that long intro goes into this, because I have a real passion for that story of the Red Baron. It's been, a, it's been a, a good chunk of a year looking into it. And I never heard this story before. March thirteenth, 1917, the Red Baron and his wingman, Peter Waitstrick, are getting ready to go on a pre-dawn scouting mission around war-torn, Germany-controlled areas. So they're out there flying around. I'm just going to make that sound for the rest of the episode. And they see in the horizon a disc-shaped craft. And it's coming towards them. And they see, like, lights ringing the rim of the ship. Now, obviously, we're talking 1917. War of the Worlds had come out, but they're not thinking anything like that. Flying saucers, that terminology didn't come out until the 40s. It was just this weird thing. The aircraft that the Red Baron and Peter were flying were about 50 feet wide. This thing's 150 feet wide. And they're flying flying the most advanced human technology on the planet, and you're seeing this now red baron being the dope dude that he is just opens fire bullets riddling the ufo ship oh no we're going down the aliens probably said we don't know what they said but the bullets just shred right through extraterrestrial technology high quality german-made bullets the ship begins varying from side to side And then crashes, clips two trees, cuts him right in half. It's coming down with that much (laughs) force. Crashes. Now, remember, these planes are going quite slow. These planes weren't built for speed. Or they were, but it was just the fastest they could go. But they watch this UFO crash, and they're kind of flying around the area. And Peter says, he sees out of the wreckage, what he calls, quote, two little ball-headed guys, unquote, crawl out of the wreckage and run away. They go back to base and they're like, sir, you won't believe what just happened. (laughs) You you literally won't believe what just happened. We don't even know what a flying saucer is. We have no terminology for that. But this is what happened. Red Baron here, this dope dude, shot this thing down and it crashed. And then two little bald dudes ran out. And the brass, the top brass, would it be brass in in Germany? The top iron of the military said, you can't ever tell anyone this story. And the Red Baron, being the noble soldier that he... I'm going to get a bunch of people who are like, my great-grandfather was killed by the Red Baron, you jerk. But anyways, the Red Baron just slightly nods. He's seen a lot of horrors of war. This was nothing to him. He's just a dope dude, so he just kind of nods walks away. And Peter goes, "Oh yeah, yeah, like he said, like he said, Who? whatever the Red Baron wants, I won't say anything either. And he, he also leaves. He's a big kiss ass. So, but obviously someone said something. We have this story. Turns out that in 1999, Peter gave an interview to a newspaper and said, this is what happened. Me and the Red Baron flying around and we shot down the UFO. I, we, actually Red Baron did, but yeah, we did. We did it. I, I put the bullets in the gun. That means I helped. So this story has been reported in a couple books. uh, Military Encounters with Extraterrestrials. The Real War of the Worlds. That's a real book. I checked that out. Not from the library. I mean, it actually exists. UFOs of the First World War. is another book that this was publicized in. But the story comes from one source. The Weekly World News. Okay? So... If you don't know what the Weekly World News is, do you know what the sun is, or the Daily Mail, or the Daily Star? Imagine something f- more fake than all of those. Imagine, imagine if someone came to you and said, I saw a documentary the other day. Did you know that vampires sparkle when they walk on the sun? First off, did you know vampires exist? Secondly, do you know they sparkle in the sun? Weekly World News is 100% a fictional newspaper, okay? And I'm reading this UFO Insight. I'm I'm upset, dude. I'm reading. I wake up this morning. I'm reading this UFO Insight. And I've done a lot of stories from UFO Insight. I'm reading this article and I was like, dope, my boy, the Red Baron, shot down a UFO. And what's funny is the first thing that pops in your head is, but wait, how did he shoot it down? Like, sure, bullets are bullets, but... And the art, I'm not going to say who wrote the article, but in the article, it's like, yep, yeah, UFOologists do wonder how the Red Baron was able to shoot down a UFO, but kind of moves on to the next point. I'm like, fine, whatever. Then he gets down to the point about halfway through the article where the author points out that the source for this story is the weekly FN world news. That's where Batboy Boy comes from. That's where, that's where, you know, like the stories about tabloids, like Bigfoot is my secret lover. The president is really a mole man. That is from Weekly World News. Weekly World News, they don't publish it anymore. But it's hilarious. I did an episode about a skeleton on the moon, which is also, it's on the conspiracy theory iceberg, is also from the Weekly World News. It is 100% made up. And in this article, halfway through, says, yeah, I was in the Weekly World News. Here's a quote from this article. This really pisses me off. This is a quote from this article here. Quote. There were several points that would hurt Waits Rick's chances of being taken seriously. And this is talking about, like, the, whether or not the bullets could go through the ship and things like that. Just little points in the story that people go, oh, that doesn't make sense. So back to this. There were several points that would hurt Waits Rick's chances of being taken seriously. Perhaps not least, that the account initially appeared in a tabloid that had a history of pushing, quote-unquote, tall tales. The Weekly World News. At this point, my blood pressure was going sky high when I read that, but. Perhaps not Lisa, the account initially appeared in a tabloid that had a history of pushing tall tales, the weekly world news. This was, as Waits Rick would later explain, because no other mainstream newspapers would run the account. That's a lie. That is 100% a lie, because there's no such person as Peter Waits rick He doesn't exist. He never existed. We, the German aces, very, very well documented people, they were war heroes. There's none of them. There's not even a German pilot by the name. Well, maybe he was on loan from Hungary. He doesn't exist. There's a photo of him, and it's really another pilot, but his face is. Sur- I'm was furious at this point. Now that's a lie. That's a lie. And I don't. I'm not saying necessarily that the author goes, well, yeah, but this poor 80-year-old man was like, the world needs to know that my buddy shot down a UFO. So he's like, goes to the Tribune, he goes to New York Times, he goes to all these newspapers, and eventually no one will publish his story. So then he goes to the Weekly World News. And when he walks in, Batboy's sitting in the waiting room, and he's like, I have a story, no one else will publish it. That's 100% not true. Now, I don't know if the author of this article added that detail in, I don't know if it came from one of those books, Military Encounters with Extraterrestrials or UFOs in the First World War. Those books also apparently both source the story because this article sources those books as well. One of those books may have said, well, yeah, but Peter, the intrepid young, uh, not young, (laughs) he could be like in his 80s, but the man who wanted to get a story out walked into the week. I I don't, it didn't happen. Whoever reported it first, it's 100% a lie. This pisses me off. This, and it's not just because I have an emotional connection to the to the story of the Red Baron, because I really, really think it's a cool guy. This is the problem with this whole industry. I'm not going to go on a big, lengthy rant, but this is the whole problem. You know what's funny? A long time... So when you quit Patreon... And I'll, let me say this too, guys. If you guys quit Patreon, I don't care. I might have said this before, but I don't care. You donate a couple bucks... You're doing it for a month or two, and then you have financial trouble, or what? I don't care, dude. I, I, it doesn't bug me. If I think you're gaming the system, if I think you're donating a dollar every two months to hear your name over and over again, obviously, I'm, I care about that. I think that's that's rude. But one person said, I'm too skeptical. They stopped donating. And again, I, you totally have a right to stop donating and show. It's totally fine. But they said, I'm too skeptical of stuff that I don't already believe in. This is why I'm very skeptical. This is why. The Charles Dawson story that we covered, The Civil War of the world I thought that was funny that he kind of hoodwinked people. They didn't mean to do it. It was published on April 1st, 10 years ago. It was a joke. This is an article that was published a couple weeks ago and it has been repeated in books. This is why I'm skeptical and this is why you should be skeptical so I double check stuff when I did double check this article I found a forum about someone mentioned it on a World War I forum and they said that he didn't fly the airplane during that time period that pilot didn't exist so but it pisses me off because most people don't do it most people don't have the time to double check this stuff pisses me off and you know what that gives me the perfect lead-in for my next story Catherine fire up that carboner copter because I'm heated I'm heated and Catherine's, like, scooting to one side of the helicopter. No, no, no. I'm not heated at you. I'm just heated at this whole... This... This... What? Ugh. Catherine. <laughs> Catherine. Go ahead. Take control of the carbon helicopter. We are headed out to Mexico. We're specifically going to the Las Mitras Mountains. Las Mitras Mountains. This is back in the year 1994. It's a period of time between December 11th and December 14th. Now... Dr. Stephen Greer, I think even if you, if, if you follow UFOology, if you follow paranormal, you know that name. You may not know the exact context, but he is pretty much the leading UFO researcher. He's the head of the Disclosure Project, which is a way to get like civilian specialists and members of the government, members of the military to come forward and talk about how aliens are real. He's also the head of the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And, oh my god, this this story is, this story, <sighs> we can't take this stu- okay, okay. <laughs> when the leading people of the group are nuts, allegedly nuts, you can't take anything seriously. And I feel bad for the military officials and for the scientists that are getting wrapped up in this stuff. And they go, yeah, you're right. I do think that there might be some technology that's not being exhibited to humans, or I believe that maybe some sort of extraterrestrial. And then C. SETI is like, yes, and did you know? (laughs) And you're getting these rational people who are roped into this utter nonsense. C. SETI are the ones who believe in this thing called coherent thought sequencing. So you sit out in the middle of nowhere and you focus on... Like aliens. Like telepathically talking to aliens. Which I would be shocked if these people don't just focus on aliens all the time. Hey, what are you having for lunch? Aliens. What's on television? Aliens. That one's true. Because there's actually aliens on television. But you sit in the middle of It's more detailed than this. It's, let me say this. It's more detailed than what I'm about to say. It doesn't make any more sense. It doesn't make any more sense. You sit in the middle of nowhere and you go, aliens, aliens, aliens. You have a little pinnet that says aliens on it. And then you see lights in the sky. And you're... Okay. The, okay, here's the thing. there, are, the, the people who actually... like Military officials aren't going to do that. And here's the thing. If that works, if that does work, then that's not an alien ship. That's some other phenomenon. One, because people think about aliens all the time, right? James Cameron, for example. But UFOs aren't buzzing his house. If... You can sit in the middle of nowhere. And I'll tell you exactly what it is, actually. Like, it's you... <laughs> maybe now's not a good time to do this story because I am fired up. <clears throat> if you sit in the middle of nowhere and you're thinking about pot pie and you're looking up, or Pol Pot, pull Pot's pot pie, you're looking up in the sky and you see a light, you probably won't even register it. You're so hungry for a brutal dictator's <laughs> chicken pot pie recipe. But if you're focused on aliens and you're imagining aliens and you do that for, say, three hours, you're eventually going to see a light in the sky. You know, it's it, it's bias. And also, it could be your insanity creeping in because you're just staring up at the sky going, aliens, aliens. But anyway, so that's coherent thought sequencing. And so you have this weird philosophy that goes, aliens are like from somewhere within the psyche, man. And then you have military officials being like, on August 2nd, 1999, a UFO. So what is it? Are they big old metallic disks that have crews in them? Or are they stuff you can summon with your brain? But anyways, at the SETI headquarters, they have a thing called the SETI Rapid Mobilization Investigation Team. So these guys are ready to go. I imagine, like, some guy sitting at home, tick, 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 on, on some alien forum, watching alien porn at the same time in another window. Gets a phone call. bring bring, Picks up the phone. sees Seti rabid mobilization investigation team's calling. Is Joseph there? And then, Joseph! Your buddies from the UFO thing are on the phone again! Mom! And he runs up the stairs. Picks up the phone. This is Joseph. He changes, makes his voice super deep. Once his mom leaves the room, this is Joseph. Joseph cancel your plans we have a rapid mobilization thing to do and joseph's like i'm with c seti i have no plans click and so they all hop in the van and they drive out this team involves the executive director of c seti which is named sherry we have dr stephen greer there's an unnamed woman from new york so take your pick what are there like five million people there any one of them a named woman from new york a cameraman and then there's some people from this group called the OVNI Club, which is a Mexican UFO-ology group, UFO hunters. So they're going out to the Las Mitras Mountains, December 11th to December 14th. And they go out to the Las Mitras Mountains, and for the first two nights, they just see some lights in the sky. And Stephen Greer turning around, see, I told you, we came out here looking for lights in a sky. And guess what? There's there's lights in the sky that are called stars. But no, 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 I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about that one that moved in a straight angle and then disappeared. Oh, did you stop thinking about the aliens? That's why it disappeared. And when it's thundering, that is God bowling. Everyone's like, oh, Dr. Stephen Greer, you totally know what you're talking about. So anyways, for the first two nights, it's just lights in the sky, right? So then Dr. Stephen Greer, Sherry, they're walking. This is December 13th. It's 1 a.m. They're walking down a dirt road. Remember, this guy talks to like generals and stuff like that, okay? This is like a high-ranking member of the UFO community. People who actually fly fighter jets and see UFOs like 30,000 feet up talk to this dude. So Dr. Stephen Greer, I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'm sure he's a nice guy. Dr. Stephen Greer, Sherry, all these other people. The woman from New York are walking down this dirt road. And Sherry starts to feel energy. Oh, whoa, whoa. She's feeling energy. Now she begins to, quote unquote, perceive small, square-shouldered creatures in the bush. She doesn't see them. She can't see them. She just perceives them. And then she gives us a, then she gives us a full description of them. Which, if you perceive something and you can't see it, but then you can totally describe it, it's called imagination. Okay? But anyway, so these small, square-shouldered creatures, they come up to her knees. She says they have uniforms on that are either a dull orange or a rust color. Again, she can't see them. She can't see them at all. But she knows what color their clothes are. And she's standing there. It's 1 a.m. She's with all these people. Dr. Doctor Stephen Greer is there. And Sherry's like... No, Sherry goes, stop, stop what you're doing, stop what you're doing. There are aliens, little aliens, perfectly aliens that can perfectly hide in this bush that I'm standing in front of. I can perceive them. I see these aliens in my head. Don't before people run over to the bush. No, 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 just in my head. But they're over there. And you can't videotape them. You can't videotape them because they're scared of cameras. Now I imagine at this point that Sherry's like Steven. Or she probably calls him Dr. Greer. Dr. Greer. I have made contact with bush tall aliens (laughs) aliens as tall as a bush conveniently in this bush blocking their view. And Dr. Greer goes, damn, I wish I would have made that up. I mean, I wish I would have discovered that as well. I wish I would have been closer to the bush and had the power that LeVar Burton always talked about, the power of imagination. But alas, I don't. I do not have that power. So Sherry is talking about these guys. Now, she has this great quote. She has this great quote. quote These rich, rare exchanges with what appear to be extraterrestrial life forms are very delicate scenarios. Any sudden, rash, or extreme emotion or movement can thwart the entire event and bring it to a screeching halt, and the extraterrestrials vanish. These guys fly UFOs through radioactive storms, they traverse asteroid belts that go on for light years. Alien crafts are flying past dying suns, but don't get mad at them. Don't get mad, right? That might scare them as they travel through the interdimensional barriers between sanity and insanity. But don't, don't frown. Don't frown. They'll run away then. They'll get back in their ship and fly back through a black hole, a light-destroying black hole, but don't get mad. So again, this is absolute nonsense. Top-level groups. C SETI is one of the most respected groups in UFOlogy, and I think part of it is people don't look into the weeds. They just see this field of all of this research. But this is the type of research that's coming out of this group. So, the aliens are telling Sherry, telepathically, we're having a hard time adjusting our energies to you. Like, we want to have more of a communication with you, but there's something... Let me read this next part to you, because I just can't. I, I, there's no other way I can I, I, I can paraphrase this. This is going to be a long episode. It's going to be a long episode. Quote, I could mentally hear concerned conversations going on amongst the small beings. They eventually conveyed to me the message. Again, mentally, she's very, very clear. Now, this stuff can be proven in any way, shame, or form. They eventually conveyed to me the message, again mentally, that they were having difficulty adjusting our energies in preparation for a meeting because my physical energy was concentrated on my stomach, trying to digest some food. Just before all this began, I, I had eaten half of a Power Bar, a dense protein energy food. So, first off, that's horrible product placement for Power Bars, right? Because you would think if you're going to be walking around an area for three days pretending there's UFOs in the sky, you're going to want to have food that's easy to carry. But don't bring power bars. Because if you eat a power bar, aliens cannot telepathically communicate with you. That actually should be an advertisement for, like, cliff bars. They should be like, our bars are easily digestible. Unlike power bars that make it so aliens can't convince you they're really there. So... She's standing there, she ate half, if she had eaten a whole power bar, we could have been looking at an intergalactic incident. They may have just opened fire on her. But she has half a power bar sitting in, this is real, by the way. This is, this is from a real report. It's not real in the sense, these events, these people were standing in the mountains, okay? I know that. But, I mean, this isn't something, I didn't get this from the Weekly World News. This is something that C-SETI prepared. This is a report they prepared. Sherry ate half a power bar. The aliens can't communicate with her. So then she's, she's focusing on the... I also like how she describes it as a dense protein energy food. First off, we, we know what power bars are. But if we don't, I've never ever heard of them referred to as a dense protein energy food. She's trying to make it sound scientific. I ate a piece of poop that tasted like chalk. There's power bar. That's the description of a power bar for you. Anyways, the aliens are like, we really want to talk to you, but you have a half a power bar in your stomach. So then she gives them these delicate life forms that have the ability to not only construct UFOs, but then to fly them through supernovas. They don't like power bars, though. Too much power. She says, quote, she doesn't say it again. She thinks it, so there's really no proof of this. quote, I give you permission to take it out of my body. And then this is the rest of this passage. Suddenly, I felt as if someone was standing some distance away with a fishing line whose hook was inside my stomach. It felt as if someone was slowly reeling in the line as the food came back out. The way it went in. She just threw up. But now she says, she lets us know, she she normally hates throwing up. As opposed to those people who love it, right? Right? Everyone hates throwing up, unless you're like 0.001%, everyone, you don't have to, you don't, I didn't, when I was reading this story, I wasn't thinking, she's probably one of those people who loves throwing up, I'm a skeptic, nobody wants to throw up, especially in front of their buddies, especially not half of a power bar, because I think those things are just, they reform. Like the T-1000 in your stomach. You take bites out of it, but in your stomach it just becomes that black brick again. Anyways, this invisible fishing line pulls it out and she goes, Bruh! throws up the power bar. Now, Dr. Stephen Greer, he watches his executive director, who's currently believing that she sees, quote-unquote, sees bush-high creatures conveniently hidden in a bush. She throws up. And then she feels better, Right. Now, it could have just been that she ate a power bar, which is what made her throw up. But no, no, no. It was the aliens. And then, again, another very convenient thing that's going to happen is that the aliens instruct Sherry. And tell me, tell me, this is 100% a Little Red Riding tactic. Let me read you this thing. Quote, soon the little beans sent, not beans like little kidney beans, but like human beans are in this term alien beans, soon the little beans sent both dr greer and i so now they're contacting dr greer now he now she he noticed she kept winking at him she's like there's aliens in the bush wink wink and they're communicating telepathically wink wink dr steven greer's like what are you talking about you and saying oh i can pretend too. the woman from new york's like oh yeah. he's so cool Anyways, now Dr. Stephen Greer is also getting messages from these made up creatures. And the made up creatures, let me go back to this. Soon the little beans sent both Dr. Greer and I the message that if we removed our glasses, we would be able to see them better. What? That is something like, that's not, you know, the demons in your corner and be like, if you really want to talk to me, you have to use the Ouija board at 3 a.m. Oh, okay, thanks. If, if I'm in the middle of nowhere and I hear a voice in my head saying, take your glasses off and you can see me better, I'm not, I'm putting on another pair of glasses, right? Because now I'm getting rushed from the woods. But these guys are like, yes, alien overlords, we will we will defeat humanity for you and bow at your feet. What, what else do you request? The aliens also asked them to take their hats off. So I'm starting to, th- I'm not making that up. I'm not making that up. The aliens go, mm, yes, your glasses are off. Now how about take your hats off? Now at this point, like some blue mist shows up and Dr. Stephen Greer and Sherry perceive, they become aware of something in it. And she goes, although again, we could only see him dimly, he appeared to be very humanoid. They're not wearing glasses, by the way. It's 1 a.m. They don't have their hats on. I'm sure dust is getting in their eyes. They see a mist and they go, yeah, he's a, he's a tall humanoid with a long, straight and silverish hair. He seemed to be wearing a light blue and silver uniform. But so this, now this blurry image, this blurry image in front of two people who don't have their glasses on is floating there. Now he goes, the alien goes, or or their imagination goes, I would love to fully physically form in front of you. I would love to be corporeal. We could have a discussion. But somebody in your group, I can sense. Somebody in, that's almost Inception. Your imagination has an imagination. But anyways, I can sense someone in your group would be dangerously frightened if I just appeared. Not frightened that they're stuck with two lunatics in the middle of the Mexican desert who say that there's tiny, tiny creatures telling them to take off their glasses and their hat. That doesn't scare them. Or that the blue, and that they do it, that they totally do what these things in the bushes are doing. Not that Blue Mist is showing up, but if he pops out of the mist and goes, ta-da, someone's going to have a heart attack. So the alien's like, I'm not going to do that. And then Stephen Greer and Sherry, they think about it they think about it i almost imagine it's like you know when two people are trying to remember the lyrics of a song but neither of them know anything but the chorus and they're like trying to (laughs) these two people they're putting on a show right you got the ovni you got the ufo club there you got the woman from new york you got a cameraman too remember there's a cameraman here the footage is just of a bush and maybe a cloud in the mountains but anyways there was no footage there was no link for the footage which shows how useless it is but I you know how like two people are trying to remember the lyrics to a song, but they are just waiting for the chorus. Hold me closer, tiny dancer, and they're like, duh, duh. I imagine them going like, and and then the alien goes, yeah, yeah, and the alien's like, to oh, yeah, 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 and it's like silver, silver blue, blue, no, yeah, yeah, silver, You're right, silver hair, and he's saying the, we the, should um um uh, go no shop- no no not no not shopping. We should sh- uh, we should not be scared. Oh yeah, yeah yeah, and the people in the background are like, this is amazing. Hold me closer. Hold me closer, tiny dancer. This goes on for a bit. They eventually go, "Well, if you won't come to us, can you take us somewhere?" And the alien goes, "That that would that would also ter- that would also equally terrify this person. This would also equally terrify this person if you guys magically disappeared." Now, again, Dr. Stephen Greer has met with members of Congress. He's met with military officials. He's met with high-ranking people. people. And the end of the story is them going like, "Ah, oh, shucks." Like, I almost had the chance to talk to an alien, but someone was too scared. It was the New Yorker. It was the New Yorker girl. So, because what happened was, the New Yorker girl was f- totally freaked out by this whole thing. And she said, "I if I saw an alien, I was just going to take off running through the mountains. And so they're like, there you go. Now, you military official who has to risk your entire career to come forward and say that you saw this thing, you should do that on camera. But me and my group, yeah, we just took a couple pictures of a bush. And then we did a game of yes and for probably about 20, 30 minutes. And then we just quit. But you, sir, go on the record. You risk your entire career and national ridicule. I'm just going to hang out. I'm just going to do this, right? And tell this story. The next day, they do a television show the next day. I don't know if they bring this up because the audience would be like, what? In tarnation, it's all sponsored by Power Bar. They're like, "Uh uh-oh. But people, I mean, obviously the story is ridiculous. But he—he's a super famous dude, and again, he's—I'm sure he's a nice guy, right? He's definitely put in the work to build up his following. But this is the reason why people are skeptical. Okay, I know that you can watch the the disclosure documentary or the serious documentary. He has a new documentary on like Amazon, Netflix called "Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind." So he—I mean, I'll give him respect. He's built a name. He's built a brand. And I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'm sure he's a smart guy. But, come on. This is... This is obviously... There's not a documentary about this, right? Because anyone in their right mind would go, That's super convenient. That everything... You took your glasses off before you saw an alien. Or they were conveniently sized. They bush-sized behind a bush. Well, anyways, the next day they're doing all of these television interviews and things like that. Now it's 11.30pm. They're driving back to their home... Now, their videographer, their cameraman, was not here. To, what? He wasn't here for this part. What? He whoa no. What could possibly happen now? The guy with the ability to record things isn't here. That's wacky. So what happens is, while there's no proof, Dr. Stephen Greer and Sherry and all that stuff, they see like a bright lights in the sky and Dr. Gro jumped from the Suburban while it was still rolling, like an action hero. And then he, like, did a barrel roll, and he, his hat, he picked his hat up off the ground and put it on, and then two screaming eagles flew overhead. Ah! At the exact same time. He had a 500,000 candle power portable halogen light. <laughs> He's lighting the stuff up, and then the light is lighting up, and then they're, like, talking. Like, he'll shine the light, and then the light shines up, Then he shines the light, and the light shines up. And he goes at a certain point, there's like, we see like this beam come out of the sky and we see shadows walking in front of the beam and, but no cameraman, what? Oh no, oh, oh shucks. You guys want evidence? What? No, just ruin your military career. But I don't have a cameraman. I don't have a cameraman when I'm in Mexico to do an investigation, but no. And then they travel back to where they're staying and they get up on the roof and they watch the lights in the sky. stuff. I'm not doubting that it was probably fun. I, I'm sure it was beautiful out there. You're out in the middle of nowhere. You get to see the Milky Way and all of its splendor and all that stuff. And you L- listen, I believe in UFOs. That's one of the things that I don't deny. I don't know if they come from other planets. And I think a lot of this big UFO stories have a lot of holes in them, like raw stuff like Roswell or Rendlesham have some definitely big, iffy things, but I don't use those to discount UFOs across the board. Like, I do believe that, first off, I do believe there's unidentified flying objects, and I do believe that there is life outside of Earth. I don't know if alien, what we perceive as aliens, are actually from other planets, if they're from other dimensions, if they came here millions of years ago, and they're in some sort of cave system. I don't know. I am Ghosts and demons and stuff like that, I believe this conversation could be the same thing. You're up in an area that it's haunted, and there's a... Ghost but see it's funny because there's a people who believe in UFOs believe for the most part other see C Seti's kind of pushing the goalposts. Pushing the goalposts. There are people who hunt squatch, they're Sasquatch hunters, and they look at them as a biological creature that has a tribe and mating habits and a diet. Then there are other people who believe it's some sort of spirit, some sort of nature thing. Th- that, that would be more where I'm going. I don't buy the biological Bigfoot thing. If Bigfoot sightings are real, it's some sort of Paranormal activity, as far as like ghost goes, or related to alien activity, high strangeness. Ghosts, though, have the ability that you don't see them. People can go their entire life without, quote unquote, seeing a ghost, but still go, I live in a haunted house, I hear stuff late at night, I've never seen anything fly around, never seen anything super dramatic. Aliens fall more into the biological category. They have races and fleets of ships, and they have... Command structures and the uniforms and things like that. But groups like C-SETI realized that that bar is incredibly high to prove. Bigfoot, the thing with the biological Bigfoot thing, you find footprints. And you go, well, that's what, you know, deer leave footprints. People leave footprints. Found a footprint. That's evidence enough. That's evidence enough for a lot of people who are Squatch Hunters or hare. Because sometimes you'll just find trappings of animals in area. You may not see an elk in your area, but you'll see elk footprints. Ghosts can just be like, I bought a teacup, and ever since then, I've had a runny nose. Yes, it is May, and I do live in a high allergy area, but I bought the teacup the end of April. So, aliens demand biological proof. Wreckage of ships, alien bodies, or their aftermath. Crop circles, catamulation, stuff like that. C. SETI is trying to push the goalpost, being like, no, 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 no. Go- aliens can also be in your imagination. Aliens can also be this thing you sense more than you see. And they've built this their whole group around this. And it's interesting because C-SETI seems to be different than the Disclosure Project, even though they're both spearheaded by the same guy. C-SETI has that, we can sit and we can imagine the UFOs, man. And again, a four-star general is going to be like, what are you talking about? Like, I just had an F-18. Do they still even make those? I just had an F-22 get outrun by something, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's from Iran, Russia, but I need to know. I don't think the pilot was up there being like, dude, I can sense an unidentified area vehicle in front of me, and then one just appeared. That's not what they want. So c said he's moving the goalposts. The disclosure project is getting people in the military, getting congressional members to push for alien disclosure but one group is comp- one group is is fanciful and the other group is what people normally think of as aliens it's a biological entity that has a fleet of ships that comes from a location whether or not they're from another dimension or they're from another planet they have a location they have a society they have a culture they have mechanics they have doctors they have soldiers they have leaders this imagining people in the bushes thing is not that and you, so to really wrap this incredibly long episode up, you have to be skeptical about this stuff. You have to be skeptical about this stuff because this is the type of stuff you're getting, right? You may get someone who is releasing the Tic Tac video because Disclosure Product Project has been all over that and so has To the Stars. And that's the thing. I get a lot of requests from people going, why don't you cover To the Stars? That's Tom DeLonge's UFO group that wants to push for disclosure. The reason why I haven't covered it is because of nonsense like this that I just really need to look into why the group is... I know a lot of people think it's a, a soft disclosure CIA group, but people were saying that about the Disclosure Project. The Disclosure Project is run by people who believe that bush-sized aliens hide in bushes and can't talk to you because you eat power bars. So you've got to be skeptical. I know it can take the fun out of it sometimes, but if you're not skeptical, you go, You'll be. Aw, oh, shucks! Did you hear the Red Baron shot down a UFO? Because that's been repeated a couple times. It's in two books. It's in two books that have been published. And are out there. And people are reading them. Now I've made mistakes on this show before as well. The Lone Pine Devils and the Civil War Aliens. And both of those mistakes. I was like oh I made a mistake. I got other information. I was wrong. Now I can get it if someone. I'm back to that stupid Red Baron story. And I can get it if someone came across that Red Baron story, but they referenced the Weekly World News. You can't excuse it saying this old. Okay, I'm. I can't talk about the stupid Red Baron story anymore because I'm just getting mad again. The point is, is that you have to pay attention to this stuff now. I'm going to end it on a good note. I absolutely loved reading this Mexican Mountain article because it really, one, thought it was absolutely hilarious, and two, it confirmed my bias that a lot of the people who are into this stuff just using their imagination. And like LeVar Burton said, imagination is a powerful tool. It definitely kept me entertained. I was laughing out loud as I was reading this article, and I hope you had an equally fun time with me talking to you about it, because I think it's absolutely ludicrous. But the next time you hear about the Disclosure Project or SETI or any of this stuff, and they're trying to get these high-level government officials to come forward and to risk their career to talk about secret documents and stuff that they saw. Just remember, just remember, that cold night in those mountains in Mexico when a C-SETI member threw up a power bar so she could talk to an alien. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Dead Rabbit Radio. <laughs> Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal, conspiracy, and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. There we go. Episode 454. Can a protein bar be used to stop aliens? We got a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff for this one. First off, uh, this happens when we listen to all these old episodes. (laughs) I'm always talking about the Minecraft server. Every so often, I'll get an email or a YouTube comment because, you know, someone's listening to an older episode. They're like, wow, Minecraft server. I can't wait to get on. We don't have it anymore. We don't have it anymore. We've tried it twice. We've shut it down twice for the exact same reason. What happens? This this podcast takes a lot of work. I know it sounds really off the cuff, and it is. It's not scripted. I just have notes, and I'm kind of going off of And that, just on the creative side, right, at the end of the day, what I'm doing is giving a 45-minute <laughs> presentation, a 45-minute speech, five days a week with just notes, and it can't be boring. Like, that's the death knell of any episodes. I've gotten rid of whole episodes because it was too boring. Sometimes there are stories that I'll record like two or three times and I'm like, I had this one story I thought it was really interesting uh, during the Russian-Ukraine war. I'll put this article in the show notes, but I tried telling the story a couple times. I just couldn't tell it in a fascinating way and I'll just go off memory because it's been a while, but apparently there was this big battleship. It was like the, the fleet, the grace of the fleet or the king of the fleet or whatever, the flagship, that's the word. The flagship, and it was blown up by, you know, the Russians said it was a munitions or an accidental fire. The Ukrainians said they shot these surface-to-sea missiles, blew it up. We don't know. This this war, we never really know what's going on. But the ship ended up sinking. And apparently, a piece of the true cross was on that Russian battleship. They had a uh, church in there. Like an old spooky wooden church if you go down to the second deck after three in the morning and shine your flashlights in the corner. No, you know, hospitals have them. I guess battleships have them. It kind of makes sense they're out to sea for so long. There was a Russian Orthodox chapel in there. It was just a room with some iconography. It didn't actually have a steeple. There wasn't a monk there ringing a bell. They're like, we're supposed to be undercover. supposed to be sneak attack. He's all, dong, dong. Dong, dong. It's time for church. And in this chapel, they had a piece of the true cross. And we don't know. There were reports that it was taken off the ship as it was sinking. There were reports that um, people were too worried about not dying. That when the ship sank, there was a piece of the true cross on it. I'll put the article in the show notes. Fascinating story, right? But I have to judge... Can I tell this story in a fascinating way for a minimum five to ten minutes? Because I could do an episode that's just like ten different stories, and they're each like five minutes long, but to me that's not interesting. I like to tell the story, and then as long as it's not forced, do a little like theory about it, or figure out like how does this play into the broader scope of the world of paranormal. Fascinating story, and then what I had to do is I started researching, well, wait a second, what is the true cross? And this is when I found because you think it's like a sliver, right? It wasn't like a whole beam from the cross. When I say the true cross, I'm talking about the cross that Jesus was crucified on. You're like, I figured <laughs> I figured that when you said it was in a church. Anyways, you figure like, yeah, what an amazing relic. You have a piece of the cross that Jesus was crucified on, but there's this weird thing that if you have let's say I have a piece of the actual real cross in Rome. If you take any piece of wood and touch it to that piece of the real cross that we know is actually of the real cross. We touch any piece of wood to that. Now that piece also becomes a piece of the true cross. So you could be sitting there like a Home Depot. I don't mean to be sacrilegious, religious. But when I read that, I would go, oh, well, that's not really what I thought it was. But everyone claims that, no, 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 ours is actually from the real cross. Other people bring their wood here to touch our wood so then i go okay so that that's interesting that's an interesting um i think it's <laughs> as cool as i thought it was but you know in that in and of itself is an interesting tidbit so i recorded the segment and it didn't work it was like 10 minutes long it didn't work it was boring And so I stopped recording, left. I don't even remember what episode this was on at the point. Came back maybe 20 minutes later. Because it takes me that long to like cool down the place. I'm running the AC. And then I'll have to step out, turn everything on, let it cool down, go shut it all back off, go back in and record. That's why sometimes you guys will hear. I know you guys can tell sometimes in their edits in the episode. But sometimes you guys can hear a difference in just raw audio quality. It's probably because I'm recording it even longer, like two, three hours later from when I recorded the first half. That happens a lot. It happens a lot, and, and I think for the most part, it's hard to tell, but an audiophile, I think, could be like, oh, he recorded this when, when the air pressure was different, but maybe not. I recorded it two or three times, and each time I go, this isn't... Here's the thing, and I use this term a lot. I go, it's interesting, but it's not Dead Rabbit Radio interesting. Like, And what I mean by that is I'm not saying that it's not cool. I mean... I cannot tell it as a interesting narrative. I I still find the topic super interesting. The idea that this the True Cross is they have this transmutation type thing connected to it. I find that very interesting part of the theology, the theology surrounding the True Cross, um, and then the idea that this religious icon got blown up and is now at the bottom of what was it the Black Sea is over by Crimea. Very, very interesting story, but can I tell it as a narrative? I have to make those determinations a lot. I'll come across stories that are really cool, but either it's too short or I can't tell it in a compelling way. things like that. The reason why I bring all that up, so that's the amount of that's the amount of work that can go into a single segment of a daily show that never even gets aired. For me to that was out of my week. Probably about two hours of raw work. So I did all the research on it. Then I recorded a 10 minute segment, scrapped it, recorded another 10, 15 minute segment, scrapped it, had to brainstorm, had to kind of figure out how I wanted to tell it, scrapped it and then had to go find another story to be in that episode. So even for something that doesn't end up on the show, it's two hours of work. Generally, the podcast takes about 25 to 30 hours a week to do and that's a real big estimate cuz sometimes the research takes much longer and sometimes it's a lot easier to do. So the reason why I say all that is that when someone goes, "Hey, how come the Mi- <laughs> how come the Minecraft server isn't up anymore?" It's because I'm putting in this level of work to the show and then something goes wrong on the Minecraft server. People are getting kicked out or there's some glitch in the server, the the world breaks, griefing, griefing didn't happen that much but i would start getting these emails and being like hey you know someone stole my kite or elytra someone stole this or hey i I try to log in i'm not able to log in and so i'm having to troubleshoot stuff for a minecraft server when this at the end of the day i'm putting so much work into the podcast and i've said this multiple times on the show if i'm ever doing something else and it starts to detract from the podcast i cut it loose if I'm doing a side project like right now, the Patreon movie nights are going great. you know, we're able to schedule them. you know they're usually at the end of the month. They're always on a Friday night, which is generally my night off from the podcast. I do no podcast related stuff on Friday nights. So it gives me it's not taking away any time from the podcast at all. That's why the movie nights are are doing so well. But the Minecraft server just was. I would be in the middle of doing something and I start getting four or five emails from people saying the server's down. So that's why we don't have it anymore, because it would—it was just starting to, to eat up time from doing the podcast. It was fun. I've thought about doing a video game night for the Patreon supporters, um, but no one wants to play Among Us with me. <laughs> I've realized that nobody wants to play Among Us with me. So maybe we'll do Battle Bit or something like that. I don't know. But again, that would not be something that I would host. See, we would just all jump on the game and play for a bit. It wouldn't be something I'd have to worry about during the week, so that that's the answer to the Minecraft server question. And honestly, I'll probably answer that each time I listen to one of these old episodes, maybe not in such depth. But anyways, this was also an episode where I talked about um, Patreons leaving because I was too skeptical, and that's an interesting. It's not interesting that they left because of that. That's really interesting that I left that in. I was after, actually surprised when I heard me say that because it is your choice to join and leave the patreon for any reason i'm actually surprised i called that out that's not something i would do today because i do see people leave patreon for a variety of reasons most of the time it's that you know they're they need the money and i get it stuff adds up super fast it really does um i've had people leave Obviously, because someone said I was too skeptical. And I don't remember who that was at this point. I've had people leave because I have a certain episode, a topic that I covered, they didn't appreciate. I've had people leave for a majority. I've had people leave for many reasons. And that's not cool that I called that out. Even if I'm calling it out, I did kind of call it out in a way and be like, you know, that's okay. I shouldn't have mentioned it at all. Because definitely the person who did leave because they were too skeptical, they knew who I was talking about. Like, I don't even remember who it was today, but um, i that's weird that I said that. Even if I said in the episode, yeah, but it's okay, you can leave for any reason. I should probably, I shouldn't have mentioned it at all. That was a weird little quirk. I will have to say, man, I have the hardest time listening to these old episodes, and and I know that five years from now when I'm doing Dead Rabbit Radio Classics, assuming I continue, I really like doing Dead Rabbit Radio Classics. I just wait till the last minute to do them, and then it feels like this insurmountable task. Trying to get all these recorded before I leave, because I'm not bringing any of my gear with me. I leave it over at a friend's house. The humor is so cringy. It is so cringy, and it's so funny, because when I see people on the Xboard talk about Dead Rabbit Radio, A lot of people say the number one complaint I get about the show is it's humor is that it's too funny or it's not funny, but tries to be funny. And it's really, it's really funny that they say that because in a sense, this is a very mysterious universe. Last podcast on the left, those conspiracy guys, sofa King type of show. Those are all really cool podcasts. The parapod. They're all talk. They all talk about these topics, but there's humor. The difference is there's, two or more people. So it's it's not as weird or as abrasive when it's one person telling the jokes and then laughing at them. But again, it's not scripted. So I'm hearing the jokes for the first time. If you listen to a live episode, we do live episodes for the Patreon members every Sunday morning, you'll hear me come up with a joke, laugh really hard, I'll flub it because I'll be laughing too hard and then I'll try to recreate it. I'll... I'll Tell the joke again, because I realize that's not a good take. And the laugh is not as uproarious the second time, because I already know the punchline. And sometimes you just hear a slight chuckle from me. It's really interesting. Like, that's something that I've picked up on. The jokes back, um, come on. Catherine of Bellingham. That was, oh my God, dude. Like, that was so cringy. Co-Catherine of Bellingham. You're like, Jason, that was my favorite part. Favorite joke. The whole whole episode. It's just cringe, man. I have such a hard time listening to these old episodes. It's not because of the topics. And really, it's not because of the presentation. It's a little too fast. I listen to these old episodes. They're super fast. I edited them very tightly. And I speak quicker. And now I've slowed down a lot. I think my storytelling ability has gotten better where I'm letting things kind of build up generally the way. And I didn't think do this naturally. I didn't do this thinking about it. I just kind of did naturally. Now, if you listen to new episodes, I'll I'll start telling, I'll be kind of a quick intro and I'll be like, so we're in this neighborhood and I'll introduce the characters. And then I'll kind of start talking about, they go to sleep and then a light comes on in the hallway, gets up out of bed, looks down the hallway, sees a face staring at her telling the story kind of like that there's maybe jokes in there if they're appropriate right if i can think of something but if they're not i'll just tell the story and then once the narrative ends my speech pattern returns back to normal jason it's this speech where i'll be like it's an interesting and terrifying story about a girl who thought she was going to see her mother but instead saw something at the end of the hallway and i think that's a fear that we all have like it goes back to a normal speech pattern that, I think, I kind of just picked up because when I would listen to these old episodes, I would go, I'm speaking so fast. And I don't do it with every story, but that is a something that if you listen to later episodes, it's like that. I've also stopped interrupting myself, or if I do, I try to edit it out during the narrative. I do that on a lot of the older episodes, or I'll be talking about something, and then I'll be like, yeah, that reminds me of a time that my own foot got stuck in a hole. It was crazy. And then I'll tell like a three or four minute long story. And sometimes it fits, right? Sometimes it fits. But for the most part, I edit those out. Very rarely have I taken them out and put them at a appropriate part of the episode. Normally, they just get excised from the gut. So those are all storytelling things. But back to the humor. The Catherine of Bellingham, TikTok McGee. I have such a hard time. It is so bad. And I understand why. That's why they say you never advertise your product until it's completely ready to go. There were a lot of people on the export who probably checked out the podcast way back when, and they're like, this is cringe, this is so cringe, but again, I'm saying nowadays isn't cringe, but I'm sure five years from now, I'm listening to this stuff, I go, oh, this is cringe, and I don't think the whole episode's cringe, I just think certain jokes are, because this is an episode that I had a lot of fun recording, honestly, this was an episode that I had a lot of fun with because, and here's the thing, every so often, you never know how you're going to get in trouble with this type of stuff. I could have never predicted the Forest Fin people were going to come after me. Shots fired against Stephen Greer in this episode. like It was just making a mockery of his entire experience. And I've come across other paranormal or alien stories of his group Uh, Some of these same individuals in this story that I've almost covered, but I haven't. Not because I don't want to get in trouble, but I was like, it's not going to be as good as this one. Like, I thought this was... The the narrative they gave was so dumb, you couldn't help but take all these pot shots about imagining people in the bushes and everything about it. Like, I remember having fun recording it, and I had fun listening to it again. And it really was just making fun of one of the top UFOs. People right and i have a google reverse a search for my name dead rabbit radio obviously um just to see and i got it, you you want to see people are saying things about you but also first off there's this huge delay like i'll see that someone's something on the x board like four days later the thread's gone but um someone was taking dead rabbit radio on my descriptions for my episodes and attaching them to new bot designed news articles on youtube i have no idea why they're doing that that was pretty much most of the alerts i was getting i would imagine that steven greer and c Setti would have something like that set up but i trashed them in this article and i trashed them in this episode and i thought you know they may like come back swinging now it could be that i'm just small fish right steven greer is one of the top ufo dudes Could be that I'm a small fish. Could be that they never heard the episode. (laughs) It could be that they never heard this episode. Could be a combination of two. Maybe someone mentioned it to him, and they're like, "Whatever, who cares?" Which is fair. You you can't swing at everyone who pokes you with a stick. And I don't. The funny thing is, is that I don't hate him. I'm not actually trying to tear him down. I just think that it's dumb. I think that's super I think a lot of his stuff is goofy. There's a one thing, and I don't know if I've ever covered it I've actually edited out times where I've criticized Stephen Greer for one reason, and this is true this is hundred percent true there have been multiple times I have taken pot shots at Stephen Greer, but I spent the five ten minutes that I was talking about it calling him David Allen Greer, who's actually from in Living Color it's a comedy sketch show i'm sure you guys remember that i did segments where i was talking about david allen greer and his group c-setting <laughs> and i listened back to it and i was like what why did i say that sometimes i would use both names david allen greer and then Stephen greer so i had to throw it out but there's a bit that big controversy so Stephen greer says if you sit in the bushes and imagine law of attraction right we talk about law of attraction on this show If you use Law of Attraction, I'm basically dumbing down his theory, but you can manifest UFOs or you can let, in his words, basically call the UFOs to you. If you sit there and you visualize UFOs, that's basically creating a close encounter of the fifth kind. You're making communication with aliens. Well, anyways, there's a big controversy because at one point, a skeptics group did look into him. And, you know, Stephen Greer you know, says that this is not true. Different parts of it are not true. But apparently on one of the nights, because it's, it, it's not cheap to hang out with this dude, to go to one of these fifth encounter groups or whatever. It's not cheap. I mean, this Mexico trip <laughs> seemed to be pretty cheap. They just drove around eating protein bars the whole time. But you pay good money and you sit there and then you look in the sky and then you, all of a sudden you see these UFOs up here and you're like, oh my God, it works. It works. And you tell all your friends it works. Apparently, the the rumor is, is that Stephen Crer had chartered a flight. Apparently, these people had found that he had rented an airplane to fly over the area and drop flares. So late at night, you start to see these red lights in the sky. So, I mean, here's the problem with this stuff is that, let's say that he did that a single time. If you fraud it once, then it all comes into question. That's the big problem with paranormal research. I mean, scientists fall into that too. Generally, if you fudge your numbers, right, if you make stuff up, it's not its not a good look, obviously. But you're saying, okay, well, sure, I said that this squirrel lived for 100 years and he only lived for three, which is the normal lifespan for a squirrel. I just got my numbers wrong. You can kind of probably, you you know, he meant to defraud people, but you can probably hide behind something. But when you're dealing with something that a lot of people don't believe exists in the first place, even most standard UFO researchers don't believe in the fifth kind of being able to manifest these UFOs, call out to these UFOs, and they'll show up to you. That's not even something you see in a lot of normal, quote-unquote, normal UFOlogy. So I've actually taken potshots at Stephen Greer after this. shots sounds like it's mean. Like I'm trying to expose him. And that's not what it is. I have made other comments about him on my show that I had to edit out. Because I called him by the wrong name. It's really hard to be like, do better, sir. Do do better, David Allen Greer. Be like, what? Who's that? Uh, This was an episode, though, when I recorded it. I had a lot of fun. And I thought, you know, the wrong person listens to this. Because you never know. Like, it's so interesting that people who listen to the show who reach out to me. Like, you never know who's going to listen to it. And um, I thought that... Because, see, some, the, one of the rules of of street fighting as far as, it like, internet, YouTube, just... I don't want to use the term celebrity because I wouldn't say that about myself. But you know what I mean? Like, social media, street fighting. You never, ever pick a fight with someone that you will have nothing to gain by fighting them ever so if Stephen greer is one of the top names in ufology and this podcast this dude you'd be like who like that's the way you have to deal with it you got to be like i don't know who that dude is i listened to the episode it's cringy he's talking about catherine Bellingham. i almost shut it off but i kept listening to get to my part and then, you know, some people pick fights, right? Some people want to pick fights and fight. I wouldn't fight if I was at his level and someone put out something about me. I'd be like, I would not even address it. It wouldn't even be worth my time. So it's possible. But see, some people don't know that. Some people fight every single fight. And then, just like the Minecraft server, you spend more time fighting people than you do actually furthering your work. I'm not saying that I wanted him to come after me because obviously he could have squashed me like a bug. Right? I'm just saying when I recorded it, I thought that he might, because it was pretty much making a mockery of his entire thing, and I don't think it came across as mean spirited. Again, I mean, you, I listen. If he's faking it, that's not cool. Like if he's charging people money and ripping them off because he's dropping flares, him and Jim Carrey, him and Jim Carrey, and the Waynes brothers are up there throwing flares out of a plane. That's fraud. I mean, you're actually defrauding people. But if he Believes in like you know I believe in law of attraction right. If he believes in these things that I am adjacent to or whatever, and he just has a different way of going about it, I don't care. I'm not gonna like try to tear him down or something like that. Even if I thought he was actively frauding people, I'd probably make an episode about it and then move on with my life. Like it just wouldn't be worth it. I'm not one of those guys who's going to dedicate his life to tearing down somebody else like that, unless I thought they were truly a menace, like that villain Spider Man. Keeps trying to see that's what I talk about. Like that joke was cringy. Like, right when I said it, I in my head it sounded funny. And then it came out, and it would normally be edited out, but because this is a behind the scenes episode and the sample of there's tons of bad jokes that get edited out during the live episodes a lot. And burping. I'm surprised they haven't gotten mad at all the burping I do during the live episode. But that in a nutshell is some behind the scenes information for episode four hundred and fifty-four. I, I really like the Red Baron story. Just to address that, I didn't remember it. When I was listening to it, I was like, where is this going? Like, I don't remember this story at all. I'm a big Red Baron fan. Um the 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 little Toady Hinchman character I had, that was a little cringy as well, but I I legitimately started laughing at that. And I had no idea where the story was going. And then when the Weekly World News part came up, I laughed. Like, I I hate. I love the Weekly World News. Don't get me wrong. I I, I get so much entertainment value out of it. Or used to. It's not around anymore. I think they did a Kickstarter to bring it back. But when people take the articles now and go, look, this is real because it's just a screenshot of the art. Okay. Now you're just getting fooled. It's Weekly World News. I recognize that font. (laughs) I recognize that font and that style of artwork that they use that I can pick it out pretty quickly. Um, But no, overall, I found this to be a really interesting article. A nice little audio trick of the different people discussing what was going on. I don't do stuff like that often. It can be gimmicky. I recently did an episode where I did that with Pickleball. I had four or five different Pickleball games going on at once. It doesn't take much to do, but I also... It's a little gimmicky, so I like to spread it out. That's something... That I like to do not the humor. not the cringy humor. That's in all the episodes. I don't think it's cringy now, but again, hindsight, hindsight's twenty twenty. But that is episode four hundred fifty four of Dead Rabbit Radio. Can a protein bar be used to stop aliens? I hope you guys enjoyed that behind the scenes look, and we'll be back with another episode tomorrow. Have a great day.